Have you ever heard of BTK, the Carr Brothers Massacre, the Clutter Family, or the Poet? These are just a few well-known crimes in Kansas, but there are so many more that have been forgotten. Like my friend and neighbor, Krista Martin, who was murdered on October 1st of 1989, and so many more cases that are still sitting on the shelves waiting to be solved. Hopefully, with your help, we will be able to find the answers to these cases. Join us again at Crime Scene and Cupcakes on your streaming devices, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you might listen. episode 20 welcome back to true crime bnb i'm beth and i'm bailey and this episode is coming out on bailey's birthday Woohoo! 27 in the house <laughs> so in the interest of two things one bailey's birthday and two the heaviness of the last few weeks as far as Awful. Humans being terrible to humans. Awful events that have been taking place. We couldn't stomach anything that's too terribly awful today. Mm-hmm. So we have a kind of a lighter episode than normal. Not lighter in content, just lighter in mood. Yeah, so less heavy-hearted. We want to walk away from this feeling a little bit less depressed. <laughs> so Yeah, so the last few weeks, let's just try and take a deep breath. <sighs> and tell us each other some stories. And tell some stories that are going to leave us feeling okay with our mm-hmm. lives right now. Okay. Well, I'm going first this week. Yes, so I you have are. the bummer, quote unquote, story. Well, it's more bummer than mine. Sure. It is, definitely. All right. What do you have? Okay. So I'm taking you to Canada this All week. Right. Once again, love my Canadians. <laughs> so this is titled The Pickering, Ontario Lost Boys. Okay. It's a little bit like the Canadian Dyatlov Pass. Oh, wow. Okay. But less information. Oh, wow. So we're just really confused, and I'm going to break down what we do now and give you some information of websites you can go to if you're curious about more. Okay? Okay. Well, it's honestly, there's so much wilderness in Canada that I'm surprised we don't have a million stories like this. Well, this is a story that takes place right outside of Toronto. Oh, So God. it's like a suburb of Toronto right on Lake Ontario. Okay. So it's a pretty populated area. And yeah, And all sure. these people grew up there. So we're just not sure. Well, I'll get into it. Okay. We'll I'm get int- into it. I'm intrigued. I'm okay, intrigued. Okay. <laughs> so it takes place on St. Patrick's Day weekend. It starts out, I guess it was spring break that week in 1995. Okay. So it starts out on Thursday, March 16th, 1995, and it's in a town called Pickering in Ontario. All right. There was a house party in full swing of a bunch of teenagers at the local high school. They were all attending. And then that went into the early morning of March 17th, so that would be on Friday. Mm-hmm. So at that point, a group of six friends from that party, all men, decided to leave and go on an adventure. They'd been out at this party doing normal teenage stuff, drinking, smoking. I don't know if they meant cigarettes or weed, but, you know, could come into play. So a little bit not in their right frame of mind, but they wandered from the party. One of the boys ended up telling a friend that they were going to walk towards the East Shore Marina and goof around on a boat at around 12.50 a.m., and that's the last time they were seen at the party. Okay. So all these boys, the six that were involved, were between the ages of 16 and 18 by the names of Jay Boyle, Michael Cummins, Daniel Higgins, 
Chad Smith, Robbie Rumbolt, and Jamie Lefebvre. I think it's French. It makes sense in Canada, so. All right. Yeah. Trying to picture what that name might look like. It's L-E-F-E-B-V-R-E. Lefebvre. Okay. I don't speak French. I've never taken French, so I wouldn't have the first clue. All right. Okay. So the next morning, none of the boys returned home and had not contacted anyone, including their parents, and most of them, they're in their teens. They live with their parents. Their parents hadn't heard from them. A few of their girlfriends hadn't heard from them and had been trying to get a hold of them since they'd left the party, and nobody has seen these guys since. So they reported it to the police, and the police, after hearing they'd been out at a party all night, said, well, they're probably just sleeping off a hangover somewhere. A lot of them had friends in Toronto. Maybe they ended up in Toronto somewhere. So they said, give it a few days, and then we'll look into it further. But two days after their disappearance, so Saturday, the police began an investigation because they still had not turned up at any point. Mm -hmm. They went down to the Frenchman's Bay Marina, which is where they had told a friend they were going that night, and they discovered that at 1.48 in the morning, they had been seen, three of the boys, Michael, Robbie, and Jamie, were all seen on camera breaking into the marina. Oh, okay. So they were there at that some point. Yeah. They also can be seen sneaking onto different boats and stealing beer and stuff like that off of them and then taking them with them. And that's the last time that they were ever caught by any camera or seen by any person. Because that wasn't a lot. It wasn't huge back then to have a lot of surveillance everywhere. Yeah. And so that's all we know for a fact that okay. happened that night. And Cell phones were still early at this point, so probably none of them had one. Teenagers for sure didn't have them. Their parents might have. They didn't. I'm yeah, pretty sure. They were like a foot tall. And yeah. <laughs> Ten inches in diameter. Are you thinking of car phones? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> also, the night that the boys had disappeared, two boats had been reported stolen from that marina the following morning. Okay. There was a small motorboat. They said it was about 14 feet long and a three-wheeled paddle boat. So just imagine a tricycle that floats on water and you paddle it along like you see in touristy destinations a lot. Okay, like the swans and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So one of those was also missing. Oh, wow. So they kind of thought... That sounds like something that a drunk guy would head towards. A bunch of, yeah, teenage boys that are wasted. So look, look, cool, let's try that. Oh, this would be so funny. I can't wait to tell my friend. Yeah, that kind of thing. Okay. So it made sense. But police began to suspect that the boys may have stolen the boats and somehow capsized them somewhere in the lake. Probably not wearing life vests because, again, they were super drunk. They were just wearing casual party clothes. And it was freezing cold water. So if they had somehow managed to end up in the water, there wasn't a high chance of them being able to swim back to shore. Yeah, I don't imagine that March in... Ontario is probably a warm time yet. It's probably because I lived in the Cleveland area and March up there is still pretty bitter. Mm -hmm. So So, Toronto police called in their marine unit, the Coast Guard, and an air-sea rescue helicopter to begin surveying the area. In that search, all they found, literally all they found of the entire area, they had divers and everything out there, was a gas can that belonged to the motorboat. Okay. So it was empty and it had been thrown overboard. But otherwise, absolutely nothing. No clothes, no trace of a body, No, not even the boats were ever found. Do you know if the gas can that had been on the motorboat had been filled or had it been empty to begin with? It was filled. The owner said it was full when they left and it only had enough gas to get their boat 25 miles. Okay. So that's 
all they have to go off of this. Okay. But they also, keep in mind, don't know, these boys could have been, they were stealing stuff off of boats. What if they siphoned more gas or stole gas off of another boat? They could have gone further than that even, so we don't know. Okay. But again, they didn't have all the security footage. There wasn't coverage of the entire area. So they don't even know if they were the ones, in fact, to steal the boats. They just happened to go missing the same night the boats went Right. It could just be a coincidence. Right. All of this went cold. No trace of the boys. Nothing except the gas can were ever found until April 10th, 1998. Two bodies were picked out of the Niagara River. The Niagara mm-hmm. River is kind of connects to New York right there yeah. on the border. Mm-hmm. And they said it didn't make sense for it to be any of the boys that had gone missing because the current goes north. All right. So it doesn't make sense that their bodies, even if they drowned there, would get dragged into this river. So the police just said, that's definitely not them. It makes no sense. But the families came back and said it does make sense because we don't even know they went missing in Lake Ontario. That's what true. if they decided to f around and come down with a car with a buddy down to the river and then got stuck? That's but, true because the first assumption might be completely wrong. Right. We have no proof at all that these boys were yeah. on that lake. That okay. Night. One of the bodies found was completely skeletal. It was wearing no clothing items. Just it had been there for a while. So maybe they were skinny dipping. Who knows? But the second one did still have some clothing on, and in that was a pair of red Levi's with a brown belt. So it's a pretty distinctive pant, I would say. Yes. So the families actually didn't hear anything about this until 2014, when the sister... It had been discovered when? 1998. And they never told the family even that they had found anything? Because the boys had gone missing in Lake Ontario, and the current didn't make sense, and the police were so determined they had been missing from Lake Ontario, they just decided... It can't be related oh, and I never see. even so, informed them. Okay, yeah. But these bodies remained completely unknown. Still, nobody in 2014 had any idea who these bodies were. The sister of one of the boys missing, Jay Boyle's sister, had gone on to the OPP missing persons page in 2014 when she came across a description of a set of John Doe remains found in 1998. She spread the description of the pants and she knew that for a fact her brother Jay had owned these exact style of jeans. They were Levi's. He had, in fact, she had a picture of him sitting on the couch that night that he went out to the party and he was wearing those exact set of jeans. Oh, wow. So he was wearing red Levi denim jeans and a brown belt, which was also found with the jeans on the John Doe. And so she turned that into the police and they requested that the police run a DNA test on the remains. I guess Jay's mother, after he had been born, had kept the umbilical cord. Oh, all right. And that's just lucky that she had that. So they turned that in, and the police actually told them, we're not going to run the DNA test. It's too much money. We can't afford to do that, and it doesn't make sense why he would end up there. So they were completely denied. Wow. However, Jay's family hired their own private investigator and decided, we're going to fund this ourselves then, because they're not willing to do it. We're going to figure out right, who this is. Right, because this might be our son, and we want to know. Yeah, but Jay apparently had a baby. Oh, wow. Like a one- or two-year-old baby at the time of his disappearance. So he didn't just run off. He has a child. Well, there have been plenty of 16- or 18-year-old guys who have not sure, embraced the idea with, of fatherhood. With five of his friends, though, it's just... No, I'm not saying he no, did. No, I know. I'm, I'm saying it wouldn't be unheard of. <laughs> but, yeah, so this girl's now my age and doesn't know what happened to her dad. She wants to know. They hired their own private investigator, and that private investigator went to meet with the coroner who agreed to perform a second autopsy on the 
body that was found. So they tried getting access to the remains, but no one in the police departments, there were various, I think like the New York Police Department and the Ontario Police Department were both involved, and the communication just wasn't happening between them, it seems. Because it was like a joint jurisdiction in the river? Right in Niagara River. So it's right on the border of New York and Ontario. Okay, so there's no clear jurisdiction. Right. So they contacted the police departments trying to get access to the remains, and nobody could figure out where the remains had gone. Just gone. <laughs> when you hear about these cases where they've been so careless mm-hmm. with someone's remains. Yeah, it's not like... It's infuriating. It's one thing to be like, oh, we lost a shoe. You lost somebody's actual freaking body. Exactly. That's, that's beyond that's messed up. outrageous. So this went on for, I think they said like 11 months. They were going back and forth trying to figure out who had the remains or if they just tossed them. Something oh had God. gone wrong. But they threw them back in the river. Probably. But when they had finally been found, they came back and said, we found the remains and we can give them over to the coroner that you're working with to have the autopsy and the DNA test finally done. The coroner actually wrote in the report that the pants were orange in color and made out of a light material. So kind of like a workout pants. Mm. It was like waterproof or whatever, water resistant fabric. Like nylon or something? Yeah. But they had specifically written the first time it was red denim Levi's. I would assume you would only write down Levi's if you saw the Levi brand somewhere on the tag or something. Yeah, because I would think if your job is to be specific about what you find in an autopsy or whatever, that you would be in the habit of being specific about what you're seeing. And it's a skeletal remain when this is literally all you have to go off of, the description of these pants... You wouldn't F that up, I would hope. I would hope not, too. But people do. But yeah, so they ended up doing a DNA test against that body, and it came back that Jay was not a match to the person. Okay. However, the family of Jay is not even sure that's the same body. I was just going to say that. What if they... Because they lost him. Yeah. They lost the guy, so how do they know that the one that they produced isn't... Some other one. And to cover their ass, they're probably like, oh, here's another John Doe set of bones that has a similar color pant. We'll just try to pass that off as yeah, this guy. Yeah, that sounds like some pretty sloppy... Yeah, but they later identified the remains that were found, or at least the second set of remains, as a man named Jason Callahan, who went missing in 1995 as well. At least they found him. At least they found him, but we still don't even know if those are original remains, so who knows? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like they probably were. I don't think they were, for sure. Private investigator Bruce Ricketts is still working the case 27 years later. Wow. And he points out he wasn't put on the case until 2010, so he's the one who went through all the coroners and this, but he's still working it. He points out that this area was common for drug smuggling from New York to Canada back, especially in the late 90s, so he doesn't know if the boys could possibly have been involved, maybe they were transporting stuff, maybe they just went to make a deal to buy something, and maybe they just got caught in the middle, saw something they weren't supposed to see, and something happened to them. We don't know. Well, it's strange that this many years later that none of them were ever found. Mm Mm-hmm. It sounds like somebody who either they wanted to go missing or somebody that does this professionally. Somebody disappeared them. Yeah, exactly. Unless they fell into a big crevasse somewhere and they're just in the bottom of something that no one's ever going to find them. Well, fun fact about Bruce Ricketts, the private investigator, he is also a professional cold water diver. So he is currently, in 2022, 
working with dive teams to use side scan sonar imaging. So kind of like Adventures with Purpose. They're hiring people yeah. like that to come on and do that. Yeah. As well as diving into places that wouldn't be able to be seen on that. So they're continuing and they are asking for support. So if you are interested in that at all, please go to lostboysofpickering.com. And any information, if you live in the area or want to know more or talk to Bruce directly, you can email him at lostboys.tipline at gmail.com. And also there's a submission box on the website. And he gives way more details. You can see all of the pictures of the original John Doe pants versus the ones that they ended up trying to pass off as him. Oh, so they had photos that showed that they really weren't even the Mm -hmm. same pants. Wow. Yeah. He believes that he's not... I don't want to get him in trouble or anything. He's not accusing anybody of anything. He just thinks it needs looked into is how he puts it. Well, I don't think it's uncommon for people to make mistakes and then try to say, Mm -hmm. oh, well, you're wrong. That's not what I said. Or that's not what, you know. Yeah. So I just thought that was an interesting case and six boys in the prime of their life just gone out of nowhere. No reasoning. It's really sad. Mm-hmm. It's really sad that that daughter never got to know her father because mm-hmm. she was probably just a tiny little kid when he disappeared. Yeah, probably doesn't even remember him. Like, that's just that horrible. That is sad. I hate when kids don't ever get to know their parents. Mm-hmm. So, kind of a bummer, but, you know, maybe they're still out there living somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. Just living the high life. Okay, so what are you bringing this week? Well, I already explained that I needed to do something that was not human-on-human crime mm-hmm. because it was just too too heavy. So, I already covered Hero Cats. Mm-hmm. And so I thought I would bring it back around and give equal time to the good doggos. So, Yay. I have seven such good doggos today. Lassie? <laughs> Timmy <laughs> fell in the well? Is that the same movie? I don't even know. It is the same movie. Okay. I'm pretty sure that whoever said it didn't say it like that. Timmy fell in the whale? whale? (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm pretty sure that wasn't it. (laughs) All right, I'm ready. All right. Sadie is a great big 100-pound German shepherd who had been turned away by three New Jersey dog shelters because she didn't seem to get along very well with men and they didn't think that her prospects were very good for finding a home because the majority of people who would probably want a 100-pound dog would Mm -hmm. be men. So during the pandemic quarantine, during which dog adoptions in the U.S. increased by nearly 60%. I bet. Because people were home alone and they were lonely and Mm -hmm. they're like, you know what? I need a companion. And so Brian Myers, who saw her photo, just fell in love with her by the photo. He Mm -hmm. said she was just a beautiful dog and he desperately wanted to get her out of the pound. And her prospects of not being adopted meant that she had a greater chance of being being euthanized over time, Mm -hmm. and he didn't want that to happen to her. He had been told about her dislike for men, and he thought that with patience, he could help her work through her issues. Mm -hmm. So the first thing that she did upon their leaving the lockup together was that she jumped up and licked his face. He knew then that she was grateful that he had taken her out of that place and that she knew he was trying to help her. So immediately they, they got off on the right foot. Mm-hmm. They worked together for months on building their bond and it had become very strong. He lived alone and during this time he had contracted COVID-19. And you know how the effects of that vary from almost nothing to people on ventilators and dying. Yeah. So the effects of this upon his body resulted in one night while he was sleeping, he suffered a stroke. And not even realizing he had had the stroke, he tried to stand up to go to the bathroom, 
and he instantly collapsed straight down to the floor. He couldn't use the left side of his body at all, and so he was unable to get back up or move or try to wriggle out of this spot. He was trapped in the space, like a foot and a half wide space between the bed and the wall, and on the opposite side of the room was his phone. God, what a nightmare. Sadie came to help. (laughs) Brian could see how traumatized Sadie was from his situation, and so he reached up to pet her. He really only intended to reach up and comfort her so that she wasn't freaked out. Mm -hmm. But his hand brushed her collar, and her being such a big dog, he thought, well, I'm going to grab onto that. Mm -hmm. Well, Sadie immediately knew what he was trying to do. And as he held onto her collar, Sadie pulled away as if she knew exactly where to go with him. Mm -hmm. So she pulled away, taking Brian with her. She pulled him all the way across the floor, all the way across the room, over to his phone. What a smart dog. Seriously. Gosh. He said she had never been trained as a rescue dog, but she he was the first person who had truly committed to her, and she knew it. Mm-hmm. And so she wanted to get him to where he could help himself. She was a great motivator for him during his rehabilitation. All he wanted to do was get back home to his girl. So he saved her from the shelter. She saved him from dying in the crack between his bed and the wall. Oh. And now that he's back home with her, she never leaves his side. That's so sweet. I made it through that one without crying. Let's see if I can keep it up. There were some close moments there. (laughs) Rudy Armstrong was living by himself on his houseboat in New Bern, North Carolina in 2020. He was 86 years old and he was a Navy veteran. He got up one morning, made his coffee, sat down in his chair to drink it. And the next thing he knew it was a couple hours later and he couldn't move to call for help. As he realized his predicament and that it might be days before anybody happened along there to find him, he turned to his chihuahua, Boo-Boo, and told her that he needed help. (laughs) He said, okay, Boo-Boo, go get me some help. And the tiny little dog took off to do just that. Boo-Boo ran out of the boat, ran down the dock, and got the attention of the dock master, and then got him to follow her up onto the boat. Mm-hmm. The dock master was able to get Rudy the help he needed, and he was taken to the hospital. Rudy was in the hospital for five days away from Boo-Boo, and they were torturous mm-hmm. for Rudy those five days. He's certain that she saved his life, and he shed tears when they were reunited. He said he is so proud of Boo-Boo, and he would not have made it off that boat alive without her. Puss could never. <laughs> <laughs> she would be like, I, you know, it'll be easier for me to eat you if you just die. Yeah, what's taking you so long? 62-year-old Audrey Stone has enough challenges trying to navigate the world as a legally blind person, but she gets around and she does the things that she needs to do in her life and the things that she wants to do. Part of that involves walking the area in her Brewster, New York suburb, always with her 8-year-old golden retriever guide dog, Figo, by her side. Mm -hmm. By June of 2021, if I'm going to lose it, this is going to be the one. Okay. By June of 2021, Audrey and Figo had been partners for over six years. And they were... (sighs) (laughs) I don't know what's happening yet, but I'm so scared. (laughs) This is kind of tough. They had been partners for over six years, and they were very close. So when Audrey headed across the street, Figo was right there keeping watch. As they stepped into the crosswalk, a mini school bus was coming along. The driver didn't see them. And the bus was just barreling towards them without slowing down. Figo recognized the danger. Audrey didn't because she can't see. But Figo knew that this was a bad situation. 
Rather than run for his own safety, which he could have, mm -hmm. he not only stayed, but he broke away from Audrey's hand, leapt into the air, and threw his body into the front of the bus. He was attempting to stop the bus before it could mm -hmm. hit Audrey. Of course, the weight of a dog isn't enough to stop a moving bus, even a mini bus. So it still crashed into them both. But this sudden movement had allowed the driver to have just kind of a sudden glimpse out yeah. of the corner of his eye. So he was able to, at the last second, throw on the brakes, but not enough to avoid hitting them. Yeah, but getting hit at 12 miles per hour versus 25, 30 is a lot. Yeah. They both survival. still got terrible injuries, sure. but it did keep them from both getting run under mm -hmm. the bus. Figo had also prevented Audrey from taking the full impact of the bus and took much of the injury upon himself by placing his body between her and the vehicle. I mean, he it's like he consciously did it. Mm -hmm. He's like, I have to protect her. Let me be as tall and as high as I can to keep her from taking the impact. I just think that's amazing. After the crash was over, Figo was trying to manage on three battered legs. One was badly broken. Mm-hmm. He was trying to get over to Audrey, whom he was still desperately just trying to protect. Audrey was upset. She was calling for Figo. Figo seemed equally upset that he couldn't get over next to her to see how she was doing. I mean, these two just loved each other so much. God, I can't. Sorry. <laughs> I know. It's rough. I can't imagine how worried you would be. Oh, it was awful. The manager of a gas station across the street had called for paramedics, so the first responders showed up. And they tried to reassure Audrey that Figo was going to be fine, but she knew. She knew that he must be badly hurt. Yeah. And it was extra upsetting because she couldn't even look over and see him for herself. Right. She couldn't make any kind of assessment in her mind that, okay, his legs are hurt, but his, you know, he's... He's he still moving. To, he's he's still... alert. He's aware. He's, he's okay. Well, was he barking at all? Did she at least know he's still alive? They said that despite his terrible cuts and bone injuries, he continued trying to reach Audrey. Mm -hmm. So he was trying to wiggle over there and trying to get up, and they were laying him back down. They were like, look, buddy, you're I hurt. I see. Yeah, don't make it worse. Yeah, so he kept trying to reach Audrey until she was in the ambulance and they closed the door. Mm-hmm. So then the firefighters took Figo in their vehicle to a veterinary hospital for surgery and other treatments that he needed. Figo's front right leg was badly broken, and it was cut all the way to the bone, as well as the heavy impact that he had endured across his whole body. Hmm. I mean, he got hit by a bus. I mean, his whole body got hit, literally. Like, Yeah, I mean, he uh, probably hit his head. Hit his, smashing your torso into something like that causes internal problems as well. Yeah, and it wasn't just the bus. He also had to hit the ground afterwards, too. Which... Yeah. Well, and he got squished between her and the bus, mm -hmm. too. So he really took the worst of it. Yeah. Fur was even stuck to the front tire of the bus. That poor thing. As for Audrey, she had a broken ankle, three broken ribs, and a broken elbow. But that's far less than she would have had if she had received the primary impact. Yeah. Their respective recoveries took several months, during which they would not be able to see one another. This was agonizing for both of them. When they were finally reunited in October, which was four months later, mm -hmm. Audrey brought the harness. They gingerly and slowly took off for a walk together. <laughs> well, do you know why they weren't allowed to see each other? Like, even just bring Because they were both around. in rehabilitation centers. Oh, so I'm sure they probably didn't have a dog PT unit. <laughs> I don't think they could take them to the same facility. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. 
So Audrey brought the harness, and they gingerly and slowly took off for a walk together. Mm -hmm. She thanked Figo. She told him he was a good boy, and she said that he was home. Yeah, good boy. Meaning that they're not going to take you away from me again. Mm -hmm. In October of 2008, near Paducah, Kentucky, Jason Briding was cooking in the family's kitchen. When the stove erupted in a massive grease fire, he must not be a very good cook. (laughs) At first, it seemed manageable, so he tried to control it himself, but it began to spread too far, and he was desperately trying to figure out how to fix this problem he caused and keep it from burning his house down. In the meantime, Jason's wife, Heather, had picked up their three-month-old son and headed outside. When Jason realized the fire was beyond his being able to put it out, he saw his family outside. Except that as he looked around, he didn't see his one-year-old daughter, Samara. Oh, gosh. He looked at it, Heather, with panic starting to rise up in his gut. But just as this terrible realization came to him, Buddy, the family's dog, came running out of the back of the house, carrying Samara like a little bag with his teeth poked through the back of her diaper. And she's just hanging there from the diaper. He had actually poked his teeth all the way through her diaper so that he would have a firm enough grip to carry the weight of this baby. Mm -hmm. The house and its contents were a total loss, but all four humans and one canine member of the writing family came out of it with no injuries. Jason said he's so indebted to Buddy that he might just get his name tattooed on his body. Oh, sure. Along with his other kids. In Girdwood, Alaska, Nanook, known as Nookie, is an Alaskan Husky who back in 2017 was seven years old. He had been rescued as a puppy, and he was super loyal to his person, Scott. Mm-hmm. Scott lets Nookie roam free in the Alaskan wilderness because he's a husky, and that's what he wants to do. He thrives there. Yes, and sometimes Nookie would be gone for days on his adventures. Those adventures were sometimes more than recreational for Nookie, though. Amelia Millings was out on a hike on a mountainside when her trekking pole broke, causing her to lose her balance and take a serious fall. She tumbled 600 feet down the side of a mountain, hitting her head on a rock at the bottom. Mm -hmm. She could no longer see the path because it was 600 feet above her. She was totally dazed. Her head was killing her. There were no people anywhere in the vicinity. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Nanook showed up, wagging his tail. Can you imagine? She probably has a concussion. She's like... Oh, God, I'm hallucinating. I'm seeing seeing this beautiful dog (laughs) coming towards me. Must be an angel. Exactly. (sighs) Amelia had been kind of panicked at this point, Mm -hmm. but Nookie's sudden appearance calmed her and gave her the presence of mind. Okay, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to assess my injuries. Night is coming down pretty soon. I'm going to start planning how I'm going to get through this night. Yeah. So Nookie's enthusiasm helped her find the strength to overcome her pain and set up her camp for the night. The next day, Nookie stayed with Amelia, and as they crossed a treacherous river, Amelia lost her footing, fell again, and started getting swept away in the current. Nookie grabbed the strap of her backpack and pulled her, helping her reach the bank. And this isn't even his owner. Like, ugh. He doesn't have an owner. He is a person. I know, but it's, it's you know It's not his what person. Mean? But you know what? It sounds like all people are Nookie's people. Mm-hmm. So after she reached the bank, she got into her sleeping bag. She was trying to prevent hypothermia. Mm -hmm. And Nookie stayed with her until they were spotted by a rescue helicopter. The reason Scott knows about this is because she went back to civilization and he saw her on the news. Mm -hmm. Once she was on the news, another person came forward. And this is their story. On another one of Nookie's adventures... Oh my god, same dog? Same dog. Oh god. On another one of Nookie's adventures... 
Lindsay Honeman was snowshoeing with her friends, and they had met up with Nanook by chance on their trek. Mm-hmm. He took it upon himself to run up ahead of the group, but he would always return back to check on the group. Mm-hmm. Lindsay was walking along. She suddenly hit a very slick spot where she had no footing, and she started sliding down a hill. Her friends began screaming because they could see that she was sliding towards a cliff, and they could see no way for her to stop herself before reaching it. Mm-hmm. She thought to herself, this is how I die. Yeah. Nanook probably ran back because of the screaming, but just then he showed back up to check on the group, and he immediately saw that Lindsay was in trouble. The husky grabbed her with his jaws, used all of his strength to control her direction, used his doggy nails in the snow and the, the hard pack to gain traction, and he stopped her slide. She is positive that without Nookie, she would not be alive today. And those are just two that Scott actually knows about. It's entirely possible that Nanook has saved other people that his person just hasn't heard about. And it's mind-blowing that this dog probably comes home every night. And the, So this dog probably comes home and Scott's just like, What have you been up to today, buddy? And then it's just like, Oh, yeah, I'm sure you had a busy, hard day, didn't you? Just like we do with posts all the time. Oh, it's so exhausting being a cat. And meanwhile... He's like, uh, I saved 7,000 people today, but thanks, Dad. Like, <laughs> Thanks for condescending, Dad. <laughs> it's just so Yeah, that sweet. dog is amazing. Imagine if Scott didn't give Nanook that kind of freedom, freedom that's yeah. in his blood. I mean, it's in mm-hmm. Nanook's blood to run across that wilderness. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't letting him have that, those two people would be dead. And maybe more, who knows? This is why we like animals to thrive. That's right. That's why we give them what they need, including their instinctual needs. Mm-hmm. A happy puppy is a hero puppy. Yes. Austin Foreman, 11 years old, was gathering firewood in his backyard in Boston Bar, British Columbia, at about 5.30 in the evening in January 2010. His 18-month-old golden retriever, Angel, was outside with him, and she just wasn't acting like herself. Normally, she was super playful and happy-go-lucky, just running around the yard, sniffing everything and getting the rips, you know, tearing back and forth here and there. Mm -hmm. But today, she was acting differently. She was sticking really close to Austin in the yard, very attentive, wouldn't let him get very far away from her. Suddenly, out of nowhere, a cougar charged towards him. Before Austin really even understood what was happening, Angel had thrown herself in between Austin and the much larger cougar. Mm And Bailey just looked it up, and we have an assumption that golden retrievers are somewhere between about 30 and 60. 60. Yeah. 30 to 60, probably the top end. And cougars are? About 120 to 220 pounds. pounds. So that cougar was at least two to four times as big as Angel. Mm -hmm. And Angel just threw herself right between them to protect her person, Austin. Angel just kept fighting the cougar until Austin could get himself away to safety. Austin ran into the house, and he was so upset, and he could barely even get it out to tell his mother that a cougar was eating Angel. How traumatizing. Poor kid. So Sherry called 911. I assume it's 911. The article said 911. I assume that... I think Canada is the same as you guys. I think that they are too, but I didn't check that, so sorry. A constable was nearby, so fortunately they arrived in time to save Angel, but they had to shoot the cougar. 
It was on top of and still mauling Angel when he got there. When the family pulled the cougar's carcass off of Angel, at first they thought that she looked like she was dead. But then she sucked in a deep breath of air and stood up. Mm-hmm. Stood up? That... She stood up. Oh. She walked straight over to Austin, sniffed him to make sure he was all right. Oh, angel. Oh, and, then, and then she sat down because her work was done. Oh. She had done what she needed to do. Angel had been really seriously injured. She had bad bites, bad cuts all over the front of her face and her head and her neck. Veterinarian who treated her said that just a few more minutes of the cougar's attack would have definitely killed Angel. Absolutely, I can't. So while Angel was in the vet hospital recovering, her family went to town and bought her a big steak. (laughs) The vet said her spirits were good even in the hospital, and he said... She's a golden retriever. They're always happy. Mm. They're not always happy at the vet, but they're happy when they know that they've got people that love them and they've done what they can to protect them. So that was a really happy story because all of them ended up okay. Yeah, they did their duty. They did what they thought was their duty. We just want them to love us, but they want to make sure we're safe. And that was seven really, really, really good doggos. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay, and a message to Puss. Not that I have any faith at all that you would ever protect me in a situation like a cougar attacking me. However, (laughs) if that ever does happen, please just run for safety yourself. Just let it eat me. It's okay. I don't want to watch you get mauled. (laughs) That's sweet, but she could probably run away quicker than you. Yeah, exactly. But she could at least get into something smaller than cougar size so that she could get away away from the cougar. Mm -hmm. True. Those stories just move me so much. I mean, I'm just soft when it comes to animals because I just love them so much. The only times I cry during your stories are when animals are involved (laughs) or when organ transplants are involved. Or somebody has to tell their mother (laughs) something terrible happened. Yeah. Well, that was my story, so... Oh, all right. All right. I always cry in my stories. That's no big deal. (laughs) That's casual. Well, it's easier to hold it in if you're just reacting. It's mm-hmm. harder to hold it in if you actually have You have voice to get cracking. the words out. You can hide it better when you're reacting. It's like when people sing at a friend or family member's funeral or even weddings, oh. weddings or funerals, because they're yeah. so emotional. I don't know how they can sing at those events. I don't either. Because I would just go... Or like <laughs> give speeches. Like when we had my friend Linda's funeral a couple of years ago, 2018, I was just... In the audience, and everybody was like, would anybody like to come up and tell a fun story? And I was like, I have 20,000 stories with Linda, but I couldn't imagine going up there and being like, oh, here's this funny time we stole a sign or something stupid like that. I don't get it. How do people get through stuff like that? Well, the funny stories are what make everybody else get Carry through. on her legacy, whatever. And yeah, stuff. I mean, the, I think that the things where people make you think of that person in terms of a happy moment. Mm-hmm. I think those are really healing. Yeah. But being the person going up and doing it would be really hard. So I have a lot of respect for people that are able to do that. I'm just, I mean, I can be a hard ass sometimes. And Mm -hmm. a lot of people think that I'm just hard ass. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't know that I've got a really sensitive side. I know. Yeah. (laughs) But the funny part is we're both like that. Where most of the people in our lives, oh, that's just Bailey. She doesn't take anything seriously. Or if she's taking it seriously, it's in a, we need to get this done and this done, and then we'll get around to the emotions afterwards type of situation. Well, but that's if I were a good thing doing to do. this, and it is, but if I were to do this podcast with anybody else, I wouldn't cry even half as much as I do now. <laughs> like, 
I think it's just us together. We're like, it's all, this, it's okay it's all the estrogen cry. in the room. <laughs> and we apparently cry at all the same stuff. So it that's, doesn't help. That's true. Yes. Okay, so uh, I wanted to end since this is coming out on my birthday. Happy no birthday deal. to you. I keep singing. You Go ahead. live in a zoo. I kind of do. You smell like a monkey <laughs> and you look like one too. Well, you look like me, so we both look like monkeys. Fair it's, enough. It's all right. So I'm the baby monkey, and baby monkeys are always pretty cute. They so. are really cute. But I just wanted to bring you a birthday-related story that I saw. Okay. We were joking the other day that I should come up with people that got arrested on their birthday or whatever. Uh-huh. And I found a pretty cool one. Okay. okay. Let's not get arrested on your birthday, though. I don't know. I think I'm going to go for this. <laughs> so the, I'm just going to read you the whole article. It's from OprahDaily.com. Mm-hmm. Grandmas may not seem like a troublesome bunch, but 100-year-old Ruth Bryant's centennial birthday celebrations <laughs> landed her in jail. Oh, God. <laughs> One of the items on the North Carolina woman's bucket list involved getting arrested and heading to prison, according to local news channel. Blah, blah, blah. To help the centenarian cross one more life experience off her list, deputies came marching into Cambridge Hills Assisted Living Center, asking her, are you Miss Bryant? It all depends on what you want, Bryant replied with sass. Depends on what I want. I want you, a deputy joked back. And then <laughs> she was charged with indecent exposure at a fire department. <laughs> I hope she really did that. I hope so, too. Just like, oh. Uh, well, in the last episode, you tried to get me to show it. <laughs> just, just one boob should do. <laughs> Uh, but apparently she attempted to resist them putting her into the car by kicking her foot and the officer spotted, don't kick me, I've got a bad knee. And she said, well, I've got two bad <laughs> She was taken to jail and this is the last part I wanted to read. When being interviewed, Brian's own daughter, Marion Oakley, was surprised at the extent of this whole gag, especially as her mother was being driven off to jail. And this is a quote from her. She says, I know she's 100, but I didn't know... And then apparently she got interrupted by the police sirens taking her mother away and turned around to watch. And then she turns around and goes, they'd be going this far. (laughs) Woo, woo, woo. Yep. (laughs) And when did this story happen? March 9th, 2020. I just thought that was sweet. Well, I hope that she has been able to notch off two more things on her bucket list Mm -hmm. in the last two years. Because... Good point. Because 100 years is a really good run. I'd say if I lived to 100 years... I'm not even going to pull a gag and have them address me. I'm just going to the local fire department You're really and showing off the goods. <laughs> <laughs> Hell, if I make it to 80, I'll do it. I don't care. <laughs> I'll just think you're starting to get a little winky in the head. It's true. You can get away with a lot more. <laughs> That's all we got. Okay. Hopefully this was a lighter episode than usual. It was for us. Happy Jeez. birthday to Bailey. I Ooh. hope you have had a lovely day which won't actually happen for another week yes when we're recording this and then be prepared to hear about my birthday probably the next be recording on my actual birthday there we have it maybe take puss to the alpaca farm oh my god can we i wonder if they're <laughs> cat friendly i doubt it okie dokie you can find us on instagram and facebook and twitter at true crime bnb and you can send us an email at true crime bnb pod at gmail.com Mm-hmm. And we will see you next week for episode 21. And if you have a chance, we would really, really appreciate for my birthday, please, guys, if you could rate and review on wherever you listen to your podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in once again for week 20, and we hope to see you next week.
number 21. Bye. Bye. Boop a go and coffee in my system. <laughs> and modium not working. Need to call a plumber. I don't know where to go with this. There's nothing that rhymes. So, no noggin barking. Some butt noggin barking, maybe? I can't even say that three times fast. You sound like the Swedish chef and <laughs> the Muppets. <laughs> He not only stayed, but he broke away from Audrey's hand, not to get away from this, but he leapt into the air and threw his body. Oh. <laughs> no. One more try. One more try. I'm going to need a second. Okay. Mm -hmm. La, 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 la. She told him he was a good boy. <laughs> God damn it. This is the worst birthday present ever. <laughs> <sighs> All right. When Jason realized the far was the far. <laughs> the far. Sweet Jesus, it's a far. You are, Kentucky, aren't you? Do, 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 do. Meow, meow. Meow. <laughs>